0: This is definitely not coming from me. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to gather together as a body openly with so many of our church family. Lord, we pray that you bless our time together. That you would send your Spirit, that the words that I speak would be the words that you give me, that they would be accurate, that they would be understood, that the hearts of our listeners, both here today and those who listen to this recording, would would be edified, and that in all ways you would be glorified. Lord, I am small. I have no right in and of myself to speak of these wondrous things. So I ask you, send your spirit that this would be glorifying to you above all and edifying to all those who hear. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, does everybody have notes? We made a guess at 30, and I don't know if that was enough. We have more. All righty. For those of you who We're not present at my last lesson. I like lots of participation. So, I tried to make it easier. In your notes is a rendition of of chapter 13 on sanctification. I read over it multiple times, compared it with my copy, because rather than have tons of footnotes, I typed it out. So, if there are one or two typos or inconsistencies between your bombed copy, it's all my fault. I do apologize. If it's that big a deal, raise your hand, to come grab me afterwards with cries of outrage, as Pastor Andrew says. So, we're going over sanctification today. If I could have two volunteers, the first reading one paragraph, the second reading two, since they're so short. Edgar's got one, and Larry's got two and three. Please begin. Sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in his life, thereby still the remnants of corruption in every part, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Thank you. Paragraph 3. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, pressing after a heavenly life in evangelical obedience to all the commands which Christ as head and king in his word hath prescribed to them. So many people told me that this was going to be so much easier than the last chapter I tried to go over, the effectual call. And on the face of it, that's right. This is much simpler, I guess you could say. It definitely has less fiery controversy. However, there is a lot of misunderstanding, and I hope that I can bring much clarity in that when we get there. When I went over this with my wonderful wife, I clocked it at about 30 minutes, and as I look at the clock, I'm already behind. So I'm going to try to move at a smooth pace, but get through all the blanks. If, I, if you miss a blank, grab me afterwards. I'd be happy to uh, give you a blank, answer any questions, etc. So first, real quick, some more audience participation, what is sanctification? Becoming more like Christ. Anyone else? That kind of seems to cover it, doesn't it? Okay. Yes, sanctification is becoming more and more like Christ or becoming closer to the imprint of Christ. So, real quick, description and definition. So, in my studies, I discovered that uh, Dr. Sam Waldron as well as Dr. Wayne Grudem, both split sanctification into two major categories. The first being definitive. And when I was reading and going over what Dr. Waldron, uh, his scriptural basis for this definitive, it was very interesting how he pulled all the different Greek. And I do not speak Greek, so I'm going to spare you my attempts thereof. However, I'd be happy to give you his treatise on that. But in many, many of the scriptures where we have the translation of sanctification, it's actually speaking of a moment rather than a process. So that's where this definitive sanctification comes from. So the definitive is when God changes our hearts from dead stone into living flesh, effecting a permanent ethical shift. So it is in a moment. It is at the moment of regeneration and justification. And it is by the power of the Spirit. Progressive sanctification, which is what we typically think of when we think about sanctification, is the process, the incremental training of our thoughts and actions into greater conformity to His will. This occurs throughout the Christian life, from the time of justification until glorification. So for for many, quite a long process. It is by the power of His Spirit, through the means of His Word, our circumstances, and the biblical teaching we receive. Now pausing right here for just a moment, this is a, when you think about it, it is a massive concept that what we go through sanctifies us. That includes what, what the, the external circumstances, what is done to us, but it also includes what we do. So our sin is sin, but God redeeming our sin can turn that to our sanctification and His glorification because any change in us is affected by Him. And then through the biblical teaching we receive... Now, one, one person once said that only God can shoot, crook, uh, can shoot straight with a crooked arrow. So, that teaching that some may receive may not be biblically correct, but God is able to turn that into good. So, and why is for his glory. The Oxford English Dictionary says that sanctification is the action of making or declaring something holy. So, in Leviticus, when they had the tabernacle and the many instruments and the censers, etc., they were sanctified; they were declared holy. The Oxford English Dictionary also says it's the action or process of being made. Wow, let me see what I can figure this out. The action or process... That's what it says, greed. I'm not entirely sure. Freed, Freed. there we go, thank you. Freed from sin or purified. And the action of causing something to be or seem morally right or acceptable. So reflecting back on the definition of definitive sanctification. Real quick, I'm going to make sure I say this right. So, God affects a permanent ethical shift. Now, I put ethical for a very specific reason. Can somebody tell me the difference between ethics and morals? No? Okay. So morals are, declared, are, are uh, dictated by society. They change, sometimes rapidly. Ethics are concrete. Ethics always are ethical or unethical. So when God changes our hearts, he changes our ethics, not our morals. Our morals change because our ethics change. Does that kind of make, make sense? Okay, so this picture I tried to render uh, on my own, and I had an abysmal failure. And then this morning, I was very happy to find that in God's providence, it's in Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. So I took a picture of it, and I put it in there. And I I loved this this figure. I first saw it in the lecture of sanctification in the first uh, weekend of ACBC track one, the fundamentals track. And I thought Dr. Keith Palmer made it. And maybe he made it, and then Wayne Grudem also made it, and they just don't know it. However, it is here. And I loved this because it really clarified the difference between definitive and progressive. Um, so if you look at the bottom, slaves to sin. its the There's three three lines horizontally. Slaves to sin, growing in holiness, and the perfect holiness. And starting, let me try this backwards. Starting down at the bottom left, we go up and down, up and down, up and down, as We, being dead in our sins, try to be holy. This is where any non-regenerate person sits. Those who subscribe to Buddhism, Shintoism, Taoism, any of the works-based faiths, this is where they sit. When they think they are at the absolute pinnacle of perfection, they are still dead in their sins, rotten on the bottom of the ocean, and are in no way holy. Holy then when God regenerates, calls, justifies, there is an immediate vertical jump from death into life. So concurrent by and by God's power and grace, you go from dead to life. And that's that vertical line. That's what, when Grudem puts it, is conversion, but you can put justification, regeneration, uh, adoption, that's also in that section. And then we see the real upward trend, That's where we go up and down, up and down, up and down as we are sanctified and as we sanctify ourselves. Yes, I said that we sanctify ourselves. More on that in a moment. But the overall trend is up. We get closer and closer to perfect holiness. Until, did I hear a question? Until death. At death, we are glorified. There's another vertical jump into perfect holiness, when we die, we are glorified. If we were truly being sanctified and we were truly justified, we will be glorified. We are jumped, We jump into perfect holiness. This, once again, is not by our own works or by our merit, but by God's perfect power and grace alone. And from there, there's nowhere else to go. You are in perfect holiness, so you just continue for all eternity. And that's why there's the arrow there. So hopefully this picture is as helpful to you as it was to me. And so as we proceed, we get to the prerequisites. These things must be true before sanctification can occur. Either form of sanctification. You must be elect. God must have chosen you by his own power and in his own perfect will from all eternity past. We must be effectually called. I could get stuck here, I'm gonna try not to. There's a whole 45 minutes of me droning on about it and then getting off track and then trying to get back. But we must be effectually called. We must be regenerate uh, as I alluded to during effectual call and as many people have said before me and will say after me, you cannot be made more anything if you are dead except more dead. But if you are dead, you cannot be more dead. So. There is no change if you are dead. You must be justified because one cannot be continuing to increase in holiness if you are not justified before God. Once again, refer to a previous point. If you are dead, you are dead. And adoption. I had it was wonderful to hear Brother Dennis's um, teaching on adoption once it finally dropped in my podcaster. Uh, but if you are not adopted into God's family, then why would He sanctify you? And without Him, as I will get to in a moment, you cannot. We cannot sanctify ourselves without His Spirit also enabling us to be sanctifying. So the scope—it's really and personally. And here I am going to ask one person to read First Thessalonians. That's supposed to be a second S, chapter five, verse twenty-three. I could have one volunteer. Dennis, thank you. <clears throat> now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, mm-hmm. and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. So this sanctification is really and truly, it is body, soul, spirit. Not that we are those three things. We are dualistic, not trinistic. That's a whole other topic. But body and soul, spirit. So everything we are is sanctified. And it is personal. It is not by the group. Is that clear? Okay, so the dominion to sin is broken. If we have time, we're going to sit in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I don't think we will, but we shall see. But the dominion of sin is broken. So, previous to definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification, we are under the dominion of sin. We are dead. We are slaves to the princes, to the to the prince of the power of the air. And when we are justified and adopted, and as we are being sanctified, that dominion of sin is broken. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are progressively strengthened in righteousness. Reference Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. So the end game, or the end goal, is to attain to the practice of true holiness. We will never attain this until after glorification but that is what we should strive for and then according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 we will see the Father because until we are perfectly holy we cannot see the Father so all of that was part of uh, paragraph 1 quite a bit paragraph 2 deals with how we struggle with sin so the scope of that struggle with sin is it's the whole man all of us Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul speaks where he struggles with sin. And as we look, Paul said that he is the chief of sinners, but as we look, what person might we say had attained to the closest possible, well, not possible, had gotten close to the perfect holiness to which we obtain? He did not achieve it, but one might say that Paul did get close, would we not? Well, he certainly did not think so. And when we compare God's perfect holiness with us, no, he didn't even get close. Um, so it's the whole man, both thoughts and deeds. And then words is part of deed, because you have to say it to, for it to be a word. And then the reality is we are imperfect in this life. We will never attain perfection. A remnant of the corruption remains. And there's a constant war between flesh and spirit. If I could have re- someone read First Peter Chapter 2, verse 11. Thank you, Brandon. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Thank you. So there is a constant war between the flesh and the spirit. And then that seems like a bleak prospect that we will constantly be at war, so let us look heavenward for some hope as we go to paragraph three, the progress in grace. As difficult as it is, it is a lifelong battle. Sin may at times seem to triumph. So this is where it is dangerous to judge another's progress in sanctification because we cannot know whether God is sanctifying them outwardly, where we can see it, or inwardly. If they are being molded inwardly, we may see very little change. So it is dangerous to judge another person's sanctification. Now... As my wife asked me, so does that mean that we are not, we cannot know if somebody is being sanctified? No. We are told multiple times through Scripture if there are no fruits, there is, then they are not uh, in the fold. You know, if there are no fruits whatsoever, then we must assume that they are not saved. And so we must evangelize them. However, if there are fruits, as small as we may feel they are, if there are some fruits, then we should pray for that person. Because if there are fruits, then we may believe that they are indeed justified. And they may be undergoing great struggle inwardly and under great uh, stress for sanctification. So we should pray for them, support them as, as we can. But that again, that is if there are fruits. If there are no fruits, assume they're not saved, evangelize them. If there are fruits, but we think they're small, to borrow slightly out of context from Job, who are you, O man? God may do what He chooses, how He chooses, in the order He chooses, for His glory and for our ultimate good is something that I have realized recently as I realize I need a lot of sanctification. I am impatient. I struggle with anger. So God is sanctifying me through that. But to look at me, you wouldn't think that possibly. But indeed, that is where God is molding me into the imprint of his perfect son. So, a bit of an aside. But there is a certainty God's power will make the victory manifest. Indeed, he already has. The end of the story is written. Flip to the back of the book. Christ comes back. Perfection is restored. We we know that's what's going to happen. We're just going through the process. And since God is outside time, victory is manifest. It is done. If you wish to uh, go to a more grammatical Part it is the plu perfect, not just perfect, not done, but the plu perfect. It cannot be undone, done and done and done. Couple blank stares. Yay. All right. Uh, so it is. It, victory has been made manifest. I'm trying to balance my time. I started late. Um, sure, I'll read it. Romans six fourteen. I think we have time. If not, then I'll just have to rush. Hopefully not. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So this could very easily be taken out of context. But if we back up just one verse, Paul precedes it with, do not, be, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, pr- but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So when I read this, it it hearkens slightly of the old Levitical order where you you present your offering and under that you pray that it was worthy and would be acceptable to the Lord. Otherwise, there might be some spontaneous combustion. Um, But sin will have no dominion over us because we are not under law but under grace. Elsewhere, Paul speaks that the law of sin is death. And previous to this, we are under that law. We are condemned to death. But now, as justified, adopted people, we are not under the law but under grace. Okay. So, God will supply whatever strength is required. So, this should be very heartening. This should be hopeful and encouraging that we do not have to rely on our own strength. God will supply whatever strength is required. So, I would have made a better order, but I'm gonna put a pin in that thought. I'll get to that in a moment. Okay, so the quality of this progress in grace, I flipped away from it, Uh, but the quality is we will grow in grace, we will be perfected in holiness, we press after heavenly life, And with evangelical obedience to the commands of Christ. Yes, I just plucked those directly from paragraph three. But evangelical obedience, that's a little bit of a weird concept, is it not? So we obey, but how is our obedience evangelical? By your fruits they shall know you, or by your love they shall know you, by their fruits you shall know them. Our obedience to Christ is so different than anything we see in the world from the world. It itself is evangelical. Someone may come to you and say, you are weird. Why are you different? Why do you have a smile on your face when it is pouring down rain? Well, when you really think about it, why wouldn't we have a smile on our face? We're destined for glory rather than eternal death and punishment. Paul, Paul spoke of this momentary affliction. Historically, that's when Christians were in the Colosseum being torn to bits by animals. They were dipped in tar and then put on poles and lit on fire for parties. What a candle. So his light momentary affliction back then is terrible persecution to us. But he still said light, momentary affliction. Paul was stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, any number of things. Light affliction compared to the weight of grace and of majesty. Let that sit for a minute. So I did not pluck this directly from chapter 3 and then forget scripture. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen, lights. It's a Voddie reference if you don't remember. Okay. So... <laughs> There are three major uh, confessions, creeds, etc., that most uh, what we call Protestant or Protestant people go with, or there, there are variations, but there are three major ones. Ours, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, quite a mouthful. But there's also the Savoy Declaration and the Westminster. So I was always very interested to see the comparisons, so I did a comparison for you. Paragraph one and two, they're identical. No controversies there. So you can go to your Congregationalist and Presbyterian brothers and sisters and say, yay, we have the exact same thing. Paragraph 3 had some interesting bits. The Savoy and the Westminster have identical wording up until ours has pressing after a heavenly life in evangelical obedience to all the commands of Christ, which Christ as head and king in his word hath prescribed to them. I do not know why we, being the particular Baptist, added that. Who knows? However, it does not change the meaning. It does not add much controversy. So, a little bit of a factoid, we add to that. So, when the rubber hits the road, why do we care? Why does it matter? Sanctification is often misunderstood. There are two main misunderstandings to it. Martin Lloyd-Jones once used the analogy of there's a road with a deep ditch on either side. I'm going to adopt it. So, sanctification has two main misunderstandings. On the left-hand side or the right-hand, depending on which is your dominant hand, there is the misconception of sanctification by faith. We are sanctified by our faith, and that's it. That is not true. If it were... We need do nothing to advance our sanctification. One could say you are a carnal Christian. Who cares how you live? You're shaved. You prayed the prayer. You're justified. Woo, yay, go. No, not at all. The other ditch is sanctified by works. This view says that our sanctification is purely the result of our our life, our work. Basically, Christ's work was great. You are now justified. You're going to heaven. Woo, yay. Now go be perfect. Once again, that's a very discouraging thought. Praise God, that's not true. The biblical view, the middle road, is a melding of the both. It is a synergistic work. Synergistic meaning working together. If you like pharmacology, synergy. If you like physics, synergy. Working together, two or more. In this case, just two. The biblical view is sanctification is a synergistic work. We work with the Holy Spirit to advance our Christian walk. Excuse me. Romans 13, 14, and Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. I cannot pass this one by. Would anybody like to read this? If not, then I will. Andrew. Andrew. Uh, Philippians, please. Philippians chapter two verses twelve and thirteen. Philippians two, twelve and thirteen. Please. <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Thank you. A powerful two verses. In those two verses, we have this synergy displayed wonderfully. It is God who wills and works in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, salvation, going back to the Greek, that word, in many, many other places, it's actually translated sanctification. So, I I have not gone through Greek yet, so I will spare you my very inadequate rendition of why that all works. However, I would be happy to give you a reference by people who do know Greek that will show you why it is that. Why in the Greek it is more accurately to be translated in the sanctification. Work out your own sanctification with fear and trembling. So, I promise we get there, we don't have a whole lot of time, but Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 is a massively powerful and slightly, okay, a lot, confusing passage because on the face of it, it's very simple. And I don't have a whole lot of time to go into it, and it's very intricate, so I didn't intend to go into it a whole lot. I'd be happy to go into it with you later on if you choose in to get into the minutiae. But in that passage, Paul states, you are dead to sin. Act like it. But how do we do that? If we are dead to sin, why do we sin? And he says, reckon yourself dead to sin. So if we reckon ourselves dead to sin, does that mean that our reckoning makes it true? You know, the power of positive belief? Not at all. So there's a lot of interweavings and it takes a very long time to parse it out. In an hour lecture on this chapter, Dr. Waldron spends a good 15 minutes on this one chunk alone. And in his book, A Modern Exposition, it's at least a third of the chapter, just on this passage and how that parses out. But when we boil it all down, we must reckon ourselves dead to sin because we are dead to sin. The text plainly says that. We must start there. And unfortunately, that's where we have to kind of leave it. So a quick concluding summary. Hopefully this takes all the rabbit trails, which actually there weren't that many, and brings it all home. Sanctification is both definitive and progressive. Definitive being in a moment, you are definitively sanctified, dedicated to the cause of Christ, made holy, Sin go away, legally speaking. And it's progressive, where we are made more and more closely conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctification presupposes election, justification, calling, regeneration. Many of those are concurrent, so the order, I'm just going off the top of my head. Election, calling, regeneration, justification. If those things are not true, then neither form of sanctification is true for you. Sanctification is a cooperative effort between the individual believer and the Holy Spirit. Stressing the individual believer. God works personally with each of us to sanctify according to his will, according to our needs. Which a lot of the time we don't even know our needs until they're poked at. Sanctification is a marathon with highs and lows. Most of the time. There are those who are, who are justified very soon before their death. So on the graph, their horizontal jumps are very close together. But usually, it's more of a marathon. So what we should do is we should take comfort and courage in that. That In the, in the span of our life, God's power is more is conforming us more closely to the image of His Son. It may not seem like it at the time. We may wonder if we've even if we're even saved. In su- in such a case, go to First John, read it, think about it. And if those things are true, you are being sanctified, little by little. There will be highs, there will be lows. Are there any questions? There were no questions, which is okay, because I started really late. I was kind of counting on it, and then God's providence once again. No questions, concerns, cries of outrage. Okay. True. Yep. Yes. Yeah, he, he was definitely being optimistic. Yeah, so we may go, but we never dip below into death. We never lose our salvation. Thank you, Ted. Any others? If you have one, or if you just want to get into the minutia, please come and see me. I have much more to impart, however, time and God's providence made it all perfect. Let me close this with a quick word of prayer and then we shall proceed. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your Spirit who was here and who gave me words to speak. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would take the words that I said and apply them perfected, purified to the ears and hearts of my listeners, both here and in the future on the the recording. The words that I speak, Lord, are, are, are puny and small. Without your spirit, they mean nothing. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would apply them to the hearts and minds of our listeners and that you would be glorified above all. We ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds for corporate worship to come and for the exhortation I know will be forthcoming. We pray you be glorified in all ways. In Jesus' name.